I hope you're still doing Year of the Bible. Uh, it's, it's the time when people are going back to school. It's a great time to, to start again with the year of the Bible. If let's say you, you fell off a little bit or let's say you've been waiting for just the right time to jump on, uh, the year will end at some point. So now would be a good time to jump on because there's still stuff we're covering. As a matter of fact, this last week we read a book called Esther. And Esther is incredible. Like, I don't say that about a lot of Old Testament books. They're all good. They're all God. They're all perfect. But I haven't thoroughly enjoyed reading every word of every Old Testament book, right? I mean, Leviticus was kind of like, is that, are you for real? Like, you want me to read this whole thing? Uh, it, it, it was tough. But Esther is this story where there's, there's, there's like romance and there's betrayal and there's murder and they're all morally corrupt. And it's just absolutely, it's not even The Bachelor. I mean, it's in the Bible, it was so fun. And so I encourage you guys to read Esther, if nothing else, because it's like a Harlequin romance novel. So, so, so read it. It's really cool, and you're going to learn something from it. I enjoyed it. I think you will, too. And so my intention this week was to preach from Esther, but my intentions rarely come to pass anymore. Uh, with Year of the Bible, one of the cool things, I've shared this with you guys, I'm a topical pastor, right? I pick a topic, like money or love or um, love of money or whatever, whatever the topic has to be. And then I go for like three or four weeks on that topic based on whatever the Bible says about that topic. But with the year of the Bible, I'm coming in on Monday and I'm reading everything that you're going to read that week so that by Sunday, I'm preaching for what you have been reading all that week. And so I came in Monday, ready to preach from Esther, and I sat down and God, God did something special for me. He allowed me to read the Bible, not as though I was preparing a message for you, but as though he wanted to spend some time with me. I'm embarrassed about how rare I do that. Like, it's hard for me to sit down and read without thinking of you, of, oh, I, I, I should preach this, this is good. But like Monday, I just sat down and read it for me. Now, I'm going to share with you what I read for me, so I hope that doesn't negate the moment we had, but, <laughs> but it was cool. And, and, and what I ended up reading was in our reading this week, we had 1 Corinthians 13, and I'll get to that in just a minute. But for th that's a verse that so many of you have heard, even if you didn't grow up in church. If you have ever been to a wedding, which you have, you've probably heard 1 Corinthians 13 at some point in your life. And it's one of those verses that we hear so much. It's almost like John 3.16. We've heard it so much that it sort of loses its power and authority over our lives because familiarity can breed a little contentment. Like we, we just kind of, we get comfortable with it, but it is amazing. And God allowed me this week just to sit in it and soak in it and, and have this conversation with God, which I should have a lot more often, where I was like, God, how is it with me and you? Like, how is it right now with me and you? Am I doing what you want me to do? Like, am I using all this stuff you've given us for the right reasons? Are, are me and you in a good spot together today? And as I was having that conversation with God and I was reading the Bible, God said, so clear to me, he said, just obey my commands. And I said, I read Leviticus, which command, you know, I read that book. And he's like, not those. He's like, no, tell me, obey my commands. And so at times like this for me, when there's a lot going on, guys, there's a lot in my head right now. I'll be honest. Maybe you heard it in my voice last week. Some of you probably thought you were like, dang, that dude mad last week. Uh, I wasn't mad. 
There's just a lot in my head. I mean, buildings come with financial things that I, that I got to think about, and I wish I didn't. We're leaving the Methodist church, and that's not exactly simple all the time. Uh, you know, we've got, we've got a growing staff and a growing congregation and new needs and all these kinds, and there's just all this stuff in my head. And so in those moments where my head is the most cluttered with stuff, I am so thankful that I have a God that says, just obey my commands. And in Matthew 22 37, this is the commands he was talking about. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commands. So God, what he's telling me is, here's what I want you to tell me. I want you to love me, and I want you to love them. I want you to love me with everything you've got in you, and I want you to love them in the way that I have loved you. And he said, you do that, and I will handle everything else. All these things that you're worried about, maybe there's a time for that, but right now, I want you to do two things. I want you to love God, and I want you to love me. And so as I was having that conversation with God, I realized how messed up my view of love can be. Like, I understand that the command is to love God and love people, but I'm in a world where the idea of love is completely broken. Like, every day we mistake love for lust. And every day we mistake love for this thing you can fall into or out of, like a, like a hammock or something. I mean... I mean, really, it's, it's this fleeting emotion, and, and we have 8 billion different messages from all these different things trying to tell us what love is, and so when I read a verse, just, oh, I love God and the people, my first response is, I don't even really think I know what that means. I mean, I know what love means in my mind, but I'm not the one who gave the commandment. So it's, it's not enough to love as I see love. I've got to learn to love as he sees love. And so it was with that spirit that I read again 1 Corinthians 13. And it's my hope that if you've heard this passage a thousand times, that today you swallow your pride and hear it with new ears. It says this, And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not love, then I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, then I have nothing. And so I read that this week, and what God was telling me is, it doesn't matter how great of a pastor I think I am. And I'm willing to say I'm in the top five in this room right now. Easily, easily top five pastors in this room right now. But it doesn't matter. Like it, if, if I do all these things, if I make you laugh and make you cry, but I don't have love, then I'm just up here making noise. If we have the best music in the world, but we don't have love, then we're just up here making noise. If we have the best programs in the world, but don't have love or the best buildings, but don't have love, then we're just making noise. God said, I want you to love my people. And I had to think, and love is one of these things that we typically think we're pretty good at, right? I mean, if I had everyone here fill out a survey and you had to rank yourself on a one to 10, you know, are, are, you, are you doing pretty good at love? Most of you'd be like, yeah, oh yeah, I love well. <laughs> I love really well. <laughs> Some of you, would, others of you would call the person who said that a liar, right? But I mean, we, all, we all think, oh, yeah, I'm, good. I'm loving well. And so if I, if I said, really, all right, fill out a survey, because love is the one thing we don't have an Excel document for. 
We can measure attendance. We can measure giving. We can measure service. We can measure, we can't measure love. It's very difficult. There's no matrix. We don't turn that in where here's our love quotient for this week. I mean, we, we don't have that. And so when it comes to love, you have to ask yourself, am I loving well? And most of us would say yes, because love, like generosity, is something we naturally assume we're good at until the facts tell us otherwise. But then if I said, all right, go and read all the words of Jesus in the Bible, just the words of Jesus about love. Read Matthew 5 through 7, where he talks about loving enemies and praying for those who persecute you. And when somebody punches you in the face, you turn the other cheek. And when they take your cloak, you give them all the clothes you got. Go read all the words of Jesus when Jesus talks about love and then tell me, are you loving well? Because if we were honest, we may give ourselves a slightly more difficult grade. It's hard. It's difficult. And I believe one of the reasons that God cares so much about love is because love is the one thing we cannot do without God. We cannot, we cannot love the way we're called to love unless Christ is in us. This is not something where I can preach a message about love and then say, okay, everyone, just go love. You go, oh, you know, and it turns into, you know, fairies and unicorns or something. That's not, that's not the way it happens. We can't just decide to love. If, if your mom's mom and your mom's mom have all hated these people and then you've hated these people and then I tell you, hey, go love them. You can't just go, oh, okay, I totally love them. That's not the way it works. There must be something done in us that is not of us if we are to love people in the way God is calling us to love. Of all, we talked last week about the good work that's still to be done out there, and there is good work that's still, and we are going to see miracles with what God's going to do out there. But the greatest miracles we will see, I believe, are in here. Like where I need a miracle is not necessarily out there, it's in here, it's in my heart. Because there's still some places where I'm not loving like God is calling me to love. Knowledge is good. You can have all the knowledge in the world. You can have the Bible memorized. But if your knowledge doesn't lead you to love people, then all that knowledge has done is puffed you up and made you proud. And you've actually become even more dangerous. You can, you, you can have all the faith in the world. And faith is good. But if someone calls me and says, Tommy, I've worked for 26 years every day. I've worked my fingers to the bone. And all of a sudden, they've, they've closed my mill. And I don't have a job now. And, and, and I don't know what I'm going to do on this one bill tomorrow. And I'm not asking for a handout, but, but I need help. And I don't know what to do. And my response is, well, I have faith that God's going to help you out. And then I hang up. I had faith, but I didn't have love. And my faith didn't do them any good. You can give away stuff to the poor and we can help the poor, but if I search my heart on this too many times, I feel like I give to the poor the way I give to a dog with scraps that I no longer want. The junk I'm sick of. Here, I'll give this to the poor people. I'm not, I'm not sacrificing anything that's causing me to lose out. Give them leftovers. And with that, I act like I've done enough. And it says with all these things, with all those things, if we don't have love, then it's, you know what it is? If you, can, if you give and you serve and you, and you have faith and you have all these things, you have knowledge, but you don't have love, do you know what you have? You have religion. And too many people in the American church have just enough religion to be incredibly judgmental, but not enough Jesus Christ to really love somebody. And that is the condition that I find myself in sometimes. And so I'm asking God, 
to do something new in me. And so if all those things aren't love, then God, what is it? 2 Corinthians 13, 4 through 11, he says this, and this is so good, man. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects and always trusts and always hopes and always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Then I love this part. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. And this this is what love was designed to be. And so I was, I, was, I was reading that, and I was reading this Francis Chan book that I read years ago. And every time I read a Francis Chan book, it just wrecks my world. Like, I've got to stop reading them. Things are fine. And then I read his stuff. And so I read this Francis Chan book, and in it, he challenged me. I felt like he was writing directly to me, although he continues to send me cease and desist letters. But I felt like, <laughs> felt like he was writing directly to me because we're close. He challenged me to take the word love out of that passage. And every time you see love or it, put in your name or my name. So watch this. This, this is, so Tommy is patient. Tommy is kind. Tommy does not envy. Tommy does not boast. Tommy is not proud. Tommy does not dishonor others. Tommy's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. Tommy keeps no record of wrongs. Tommy does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. Tommy always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Tommy never fails. I like that last part. I did that in my office by myself the other day, and I felt like a professional wrestler because it was a tremendous amount of third person. <laughs> but the point is, like, when I read that, I go, no, that's not me. You've described somebody, a different Tommy, because that is not me yet. I want to be that some days, but that's not me yet. That's not me yet. And if that's not me, and the greatest commandment is love God and love people, then what am I doing? What am I doing? I could succeed at everything else in life, but if I fail at this... That's a problem. I think God heals people who will admit they're sick. I think rarely do I see or never in the Bible where God walks up and just goes, you're healed whether you want it or not. I mean, like, the physician works on the heart of, of people who are broken and sick. And so the first thing I had to do this week was admit, God, I'm broken. I got some problems in me. And if I don't learn to love in a way that, that is of God and for God and through God and with God. And the thing about this is we can't just do this. Like to, to get to this place, I have to open up parts of my heart to God that I've never opened up for him, to him before. I, the parts that I've kept for myself. The parts, no, I want to be angry at them. I, want, I have to let go of all those things and then he'll come in and he can begin to transform me. But as God transforms me, because I cannot do this on my own, as God transforms me, I must do what you must do when you want to get better at anything and that's practice. Like I have to practice doing what loving people do in hopes that God will cultivate a deep and unique and mysterious love inside of me.
that as, as, I, as I act like the person I was created to be, I will become the person I was created to be. And I believe that is possible with God. And so I just want to just read through this passage a little bit at a time. And I don't think it's on the screen or anything, but you can trust me or you, or you can open your Bible. Um, verse 4 says, love is patient, love is kind. I, I struggle so much with patience. Anybody with me? Come on. Amen. Like I struggle with it. And because I struggle so much, I, I guarantee you my wife and kid are right there. They would admit I struggle with patience. <laughs> like, and so God is doing something in me, but he's not done with me. And I need to go to him and say, God, I'm still struggling here. There's something about me that believes my time is more valuable than everyone else's around me. That's why I hate sitting in traffic and why I hate standing in lines. and why I'm, so, I'm far more patient with your kid than I am with my kid. Why do I struggle so far in this? Because I am at war. The enemy knows my weakness, and he's speaking into one side. And God is saying, no, 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 Tommy, I, I want that part of you. And so I'm going to practice measuring my words, especially in my home, in hopes that as I practice patience, I will become patient. And I am believing that one day patience and kindness won't just be something I do. They will be the things that I am because I am so full of Jesus Christ. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not faking it. I am patience. I am kindness. And I believe this is 100% possible if I'm willing to open up my heart to God, admit there's a problem, and then practice. The next part of this deal says, it does not envy it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, and it is not self-seeking. All of those things, boasting, proud, envy, self-seeking, all those things are qualities that place someone else's needs over my needs. It's pride. And so I had to open my heart as I was reading this just alone with God and say, God, where is pride affecting my love? And he showed me something I didn't expect. Last week, I... Uh, Last week, I preached a message, and afterwards, man, the, I was just in my head so much about it. Like, I wasn't happy with it. I thought I was too hard. I thought I sounded mean. I, I didn't think I got across what I wanted to get across, so I was, just, I was back there in the green room beating myself. I was dragging all day at home. I could not get over it. I just wasn't happy. And when I opened that door with my message, and the enemy starts speaking in him and says, you just ruined it. No one will ever be back. I mean, just... You know, what's a little problem just becomes a monster in my mind. And so I went home and I posted on Facebook. And I posted a, a sort of follow-up about the message and a follow-up about the sermon. And after I posted that, a lot of you complimented me and then I felt better. That's what happened. And as I was sitting alone with God, God said, do you remember that post? It breaks my heart to even think about this. And I said, yeah, I remember it. He said, why'd you post that? He said, was it because you loved me and you wanted them to remember the message? Or was it because you need the affirmation of people more than you need my affirmation? It is what it is, God. I posted that so you would make me feel better. And what I told God in that moment was, you are not sufficient for me right now. I must go somewhere else to feel good about me. 
And God said, Tommy, swallow that pride and just love me and know that I love you. And if there's a problem with your message, I'll handle it. And if you need affirmation, come to me. He said, stop checking Facebook after you preach. Just come to me. And it, it broke my heart to think about because he's so right. There's so many times his love, the love of the creator of the earth who died on a cross has not been sufficient for me. And so I had to check and make sure that you were okay with it and that you liked me. And God is going, no, stop that. Stop that. So now what I'm doing is before I post something on Facebook, I'm going to stop and say, God, is this me or is this for you? And I would highly recommend most of you follow me in this effort. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. But really, like, is, is a Facebook post a big deal? No, but it's a brick in the wall. And it's a brick in the wall, and it's a brick in the wall. And you don't become a lover of people and a lover of God just by overnight blinking. It's little incremental steps over time. When you invest and you trust, you invest and you trust. And before long, God will even own my Facebook post. Like, he's going to own all of me. And if I post something, it's going to be because I love him and because I love you. Not because I need you to make me feel better. Because I was too direct and too honest in a message. Pride can get in the way of love. Am I loving you from a place where I'm not even worried about what I'm getting back from it? You know how you love a baby? Babies do nothing for you. I mean, they don't. They, they poop themselves, they eat, they eat, they cost a bunch of money, and they're super loud. I mean, really. That's the extent of what a baby does in its first four or five months of life. Really, I mean, am I wrong? No. But yet we love them so much. We're like, oh, I can't get enough of this thing. Why? They're doing nothing. Like, I want that love for everybody. Like, I want to love you the way I loved Kinley the first day I met her. And I'm not there yet. So there's work to be done inside of me. The next one, the next one says, these are the... It's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. How many of y'all are easily offended? Just put your hand up. Be honest. Be honest. If you're easily offended. Oh, gosh, I love you guys. We got to work on that. God, God can come into our lives and cultivate a space where things actually roll off of our back because we are so secure in our identity as sons and daughters of the king. I'm not worried about what everybody says. I'm not going to quit being so easily offended by everything everyone says. A lot of times, believe it or not, they're not talking about you. Sometimes they are. But we have to learn to not be so easily offended because we're so, not, 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 not pride. I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about cocky. I'm saying I am so confident in who I am in Christ that I'm going to love you with the best that I've got. And if you say something offensive, then... I'll make fun of you on Facebook. <laughs> Kidding. Not keeping records of right and wrongs. Gosh, man. How many of you does God need to do something in your heart on that one? Yeah, You've got such a grudge against somebody. Like your hand is on their throat. And if you were alone with them, you might just squeeze. Right? You know that person? And maybe, maybe your anger is justified. Maybe it's justified. And maybe justice would be justified. Yet God is calling you 
to release them. Why? Because you are becoming love. Like just as he is love, I am becoming love. And even though you deserve it, and even though I would, uh, no. And not because I'm getting any return from this, but because the king of all kings died in my place. And maybe for someone, you need to actually release someone of an actual debt. I mean, literally, the, the practice step is they owe you $2 or $200 or $2,000, and you choose to release them of that debt. I don't know what it is for you. And by the way, do not ever use a verse like this as an excuse to stay in an abusive relationship. God wants you out of it. Don't ever use a verse like this as an excuse to stay someplace you shouldn't be. If you're in an abusive relationship, get out. That's different than what they're talking about here. But are you willing to let go? The last one says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects and always trusts and always hopes and always perseveres. Love never fails. Like, is is that what people would say about your love? That your love is so contagious and so real that it's actually making the people's lives around you better. Not just the people who live with you, but people outside of your home and strangers. Like, is that what people will say about us? That, 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 that our love is so strange that people actually trust us because we're so loving. That our love overcomes generational prejudice and pain and what other people see as a problem, we see as potential. Is that the kind of love we have collectively and as individuals, that our love is so unique that that's what we're known for? Because if not, then yeah, there's still work to do out there. But there's even more work that needs to be done in here. Are we there yet? You know, this is the greatest commandment to love God and love people, but we probably preach on this the least because it's so hard to preach on loving people. I mean, love, 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 because this is not something we can just do. Oh, the only way this happens is when the Holy Spirit comes into a heart and cultivates such a place and remakes you, but you have to align your free will with his power. And so we have to start doing what, what loving people do, knowing that I am becoming loving. Do what Christ did, knowing I am becoming like Christ. And I know it's hard. And I know it's difficult. But I know it's possible. I also know one day we will stand in front of God. And the only thing we will still have is love. Listen to how this verse ends in verse 12. It says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Some of you are standing with Jesus. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The only eternal quality we have is love. Many of you have probably had a loved one die. And at one point, while they were in their sickness, you had faith that they would be okay. And you had hope that they would be okay. But when they died, you lost your faith and you lost your hope. Did you lose your love? Love's eternal. This is the thing the world can't take away. Life, death, nothing can take love. And it's because one day we'll stand face to face with Jesus Christ. And when you're face to face with Christ, you don't need faith. 
You don't need faith to believe him when you're face to face with him in heaven. And he's standing in front of you in all his radiance and all of his glory and just standing in front of you. You're not going to be like, man, I sure wish I believed in you. He'd be like, I'm right here. That requires no faith. And one day we're going to be in heaven and we're going to be standing face to face with Christ and you won't need hope. You don't need hope when you're standing in the face of hope. When you're looking at him, you, you don't have to worry about a day with no more sadness and no more pain. You're not mourning. You're not, all these pains are gone. When we stand in his presence, you will no longer need hope. But when you stand in his presence, you will still love. You will still love. And if it's the only thing that lasts forever, why not start practicing it today? The more I read this book and the closer I get to God the Father, the more I am convinced that he set me free not to preach. He set me free not to build things. He set me free not to do programs. He set me free to love. And if I'm doing that, then preaching and programs and buildings and whatever else are an outpouring of truth that comes from that. And if we begin to get that thing upside down, we create a system that was never meant to be. And so will you challenge yourself this week to allow God to cultivate love in your heart, to admit that maybe you're a little broken, Maybe some legalism is set in. Maybe some judgmentalness is set in. Some pride. Some unwillingness to forgive. Allow God to do a miracle in your heart. And then God will use the hearts of lovers to do miracles in the world. Amen.